So if you uh, have turned to Luke chapter 7, verse number 11, stand with me and we'll read the passage together. Next. Yeah, thank you. Soon afterward, when he went to a town called Nain, he and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Such interesting language. The dead man sat up and began to speak, isn't it? Um, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Lord, uh, uh, we live in the realm of death. I was thinking the last couple days, we are citizens of the kingdom of life living under the domain of the kingdom of death. Death is all around us, and we think about it all the time, whether we realize it or not, it affects everything that we do. Lord, we thank you that Jesus brings new life. He brings resurrection life. And all his promises are true. And so, Lord, we um, thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, that in this short passage that we see the compassion of our Lord and Savior and the God of the universe. In Christ's name. Amen. As we, uh, as we mourn our losses, um, our own losses as well as the losses of others, we, um, of the people we love, we wonder what comfort God has given for grieving parents and what hope we can have uh, for life after death. Luke answers these questions in his gospel by telling us what Jesus did for a mother who suffered the tragic loss of her only son. In this story, we see the compassion of Christ. We see his power. We see his power over death. We also see the worship and the witness that they inspire. And so this whole story about this mother, a widow, begins with sorrow. If you look at verse number 11 with me, it says, Soon afterward... He went to a town called Nain with his disciples, and the great crowd went with him. And so he went on a long journey, and it says a great crowd went with him. I'll show you something in just a minute. And as he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from town was with her. And so... It starts out with sorrow. Now, Jesus, if you remember, had been in Capernaum. And um, he traveled to Nain. It was a town about 25 miles southwest of 
of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is right up here at the top of the Sea of Galilee, 600 feet below sea level. You go through this, it's a very deep mountain pass by Mount Arbel, and you come up uh, through the mountains, and then you come back down around Mount Tabor, and this valley right here is the Jezreel Valley. It's a very wide and flat valley, and um, there's a town called Megiddo there uh, that you know is Armageddon. And then he, he arrives at Nain. Nain is uh, several hundred feet above sea level. So it's 25 miles, and you can make it in a day if you leave very early and you hustle, and you can be very tired by the get, time you get there. One more point. Nazareth, where he grew up, is right here. It's about six miles from here to here, maybe eight. I can't remember the exact figure. Nazareth overlooks that valley, and probably at night you could see Nain from Nazareth. So it's, it's very interesting geography going on there. But Jesus traveled up there, and they probably made that trip in one day. And the reason I say that is it says that they met in the evening. Uh, he arrived at the city gate, and um, a crowd was bringing the man out. Now, funeral customs of the day was that the um, funeral usually occurred on the same day that the person died. A prime example of that is the death of Jesus. That was, that was the custom. And so somebody would die. Everybody's out in the field working or working in their shops and stuff. At the close of the day, they would close up shop, come out of the field, and they would go mourn with whoever the funeral was. Um, was for and with, if you know what I mean when I say that. And so not only that, but some of the people in the procession were musicians, and they would play a mournful dirge on their flutes. Others were professional mourners, people who were paid to mourn. And women, uh, they were women who wept and wailed as a public expression of, of community grief. And then there were all the people from town who had come to pay their last respects. And so together, they would lay their friend or relative to rest in one of the rocky tombs in the seminary, a cemetery um, by the side of the road. The cemetery in Nain, by the way, is to the east. Uh, I've seen, I, matter of fact, our last trip to Israel, I don't see anybody that went with me. Um, we, we went to Nain and we saw where the cemetery had been during Jesus' day and where the gates were so we could see what was going on there. Of course, I didn't take pictures. You know how that works. As we, as we picture this uh, scene, what, what are we reminded of? We're, we're reminded of the tragedy of the human condition. We have gone out ourselves to bury our dead. Not walking out of the city, um, but maybe in a, in a long line of cars, right? We go to the, and we're following a hearse. This is our common sorrow, and it's, it's all because of sin. God gave us life, but we chose sin. Um, and if we had not chosen sin, there would not be any death. If we had not chosen sin, there wouldn't be any funerals. There wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any tears, even. Wouldn't that be great? The Bible says in Romans 5.12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because why? All sinned, right? This is the source of all of our sorrow. Sin is. 
as Martin Luther said, he said this about death. He said, when you hear of death, you must think not only of the grave and the coffin and of the horrible manner in which life is separated from the body and how the body is destroyed and brought to naught, but you must think of the cause by which man is brought to death and without which death and that which accompanies it would be impossible, namely sin and the wrath of God on the account of sin. And that's absolutely true. So Jesus watched this sad procession. He was witnessing the sad and tragic lost condition of dying humanity, and it would only have taken a few moments to, sum, to size up the situation. He could hear the sounds of lamentation. He could see what was happening. Near the front of the procession was the dead man himself. He would have been wrapped in, in burial shroud, most likely, and lying on a, a bier, which is a like a, a flat um, plank or a ricket of sorts. I think ricket is the right word. Isn't that, is that the right word, ricket? Somebody help me out. I can't remember. But um, walking in front of his lifeless body would have been his, his mother. Normally would have been the family. But in this case, it was young man's mother. And she was probably walking alone because in those days it was customary for the whole family or husband and wife, to proceed to the deceased, and there was no one left. She was by herself. Now, if you think about it, it had to be one of the saddest funerals you could ever imagine. This woman was a widow. She had been down this road before to bury her husband. Now she was grieving again for a loss that most likely seemed too great to bear. Um... The dead man was her only son, and now she was left with no one to protect her, no one to provide for her. And of course, she knew that the people behind her, the large crowd of sympathizers, um, were there with her in a very real sense, but in a bigger sense, she was alone in this world. And this is the death of the, of the mother's only son, and when she buried him, she was going to bury a piece of her own heart. And there was no social security or benefits or life insurance. She was alone, and I am sure that she was thinking, I am in for some very hard days. Now, I don't know what she was thinking. She may have wondered if God had abandoned her. Wouldn't that be a natural thought? Maybe... God doesn't love me anymore, she thought. Why would a good God remove my only earthly source of security? Things happen to us in life that cause us to question if God loves us, right? It does. This is Mother's Day. There may be people here who desire a child. They know that God says children are a blessing. They know that God says be fruitful and multiply, and yet they're dealing with barrenness. And they're praying to the Lord, and the Lord seems silent. And it just makes no sense. And so you start questioning, has God abandoned me? Does God not love me? Is God punishing me? Those are very natural thoughts. 
Circumstances are shouting loud, and God is distant and silent. And so we ask ourselves sometimes, how does this make any sense? And I'm sure most of us have been there. And this, when we reach times like this, it is at these times where we turn to what we know and not to what we feel. So very important to do that. The prophet Jeremiah models this for us. If you want to see it, I don't have it for the screen, but you could turn to Lamentations 3 if you want to. The prophet Jeremiah, uh, if you know anything about the book of Lamentations, it was written as a lament over Jerusalem having just been destroyed by the Babylonians. Leveled, burnt, people killed, thousands and thousands of people killed, everybody else taken away into captivity. And Jeremiah is looking over the smoldering ruins of Jerusalem and the massive human tragedy that went along with it. And in chapter 3, verse number 18, he reflects upon his feelings. And here's what he says. He says, so I say, my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Can I translate that into modern English? Lord, I don't think I can take any more. I think if one more thing happens to me, I'm going to break. I don't think I can endure one more day. Have you ever told the Lord that? Jeremiah did. He told the Lord that's exactly how he feels. But then he follows up, and this is so very important, because then he turns from his feelings and emotions to truth. Look at the next verses, verse number 21. But... Isn't that an important word? But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. What gives him hope? What is he calling to mind? He's calling truth to mind, and he says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There it is. Dear believer, I don't know where you are in life, but I have no doubt that some of you are dealing with things and you're thinking to yourselves, I don't know how I'm going to endure one more day. I don't know how I can go on one step further. I feel like God's abandoned me. He's quiet. I'm not hearing anything from him. What's going on here? Does he even love me? All those thoughts run through there. It is at those times that you need to turn yourself to scripture and realize and rehearse everything that you know to be true about God. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And if you are in Christ, he has set his steadfast love on you and will never abandon you. And if we remember that, we remember this behind the dark clouds of trouble is the smile of God. Um, John Piper wrote a book called The Hidden Smile of God. And it's three biographies of, of people from years gone by that had difficult circumstances. He called it The Hidden Smile of God. It's a wonderful book. Well, let's move on. So on that particular day, the way of life met the way of death. And so Luke said this. Look at what Luke said next. 
And when he saw, and when the Lord saw her, what did he do? He had compassion. It doesn't say he showed empathy. That's a big word nowadays, isn't it? You need to have empathy. No, compassion's better. He had compassion, and he said to her, do not weep. Here he is being sensitive to this woman's sorrow. He could see that she was alone in the world with no husband and no children. She was losing what little was left in her family, companionship, financial support. And when Jesus saw the helpless condition of the woman's great loss, he was drawn to her in love and sympathy. And you know what? That's the way Jesus cares about us. Luke included this story in his gospel so that we might know the compassion of Christ in all our sorrow. The same Jesus who reached out to the widow of Nain reaches out to us when we feel completely helpless in the face of death. The God of the universe, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has deep compassion for people in pain. He remembers our losses. He knows our sufferings. And he hears our cries of anguish. And when he does, his heart goes out. And as scripture says in Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And this promise is for anyone grieving the death of a loved one, or mourning the loss of a friendship, or lamenting that days, days that are lost and gone forever, Jesus cares for every suffering soul. But if Jesus had no more to offer the widow of Nain than merely his sympathies, then we would all be in trouble, right? Instead, um, Matter of fact, it'd be kind of, it would be, to to tell her to do not weep and not do anything else would be kind of insensitive. Why shouldn't she weep? She just lost her only son, and tears were the appropriate overflow of a grieving soul. And so people who have something to cry about should go ahead and cry. But Jesus had good woman to tell this woman, uh, Jesus had good reason to tell this woman to dry up her tears because he spoke in the expectation of a miracle. He went beyond caring for her grief and doing something about it, conquering the death that caused her sorrow. <laughs> exactly, praise God. That's right. And as Jesus began to work his miracle, he did it in a dramatic gesture. The Bible says in verse number 14 that he came up and he touched the bier and the bearer stopped. Now, corpses were carried on an open bier, like a ricket or a plank, instead of a coffin. Wealthy people would be laid in a family tomb on a table or shelf. About a year later, the bones would be placed in the ossuary. Let me show you um, what I'm talking about. Bodies would be laid in, in these, are, these would be wealthy people's tombs. The bodies are laid on the side on the shelves sometimes. Um, and then sometimes there would be a table in the middle 
Jesus apparently was put on a table in the middle of the tomb. Then the body is left to decompose, and, and then after about a year, they come back, and I didn't put a picture in here, I don't think. No, I didn't. Of an ossuary. It's just a little bone container. If you go with me to Israel, we, it's a fascinating process, and we spend a lot of time in an actual, or I should say a, a replica tomb with actual um, ossuaries and different things in there. And um, that's, that's what was going to happen. And so the bodies are open. They're not in coffins. And then they put them away later on. But that's, that was what was going on here, most likely. Jesus touching the beer must have shocked people. And here's why. According to the law, touching the place of the dead made a person ceremonially unclean. But Jesus Christ is the Lord of life, and therefore, he's not corrupted or contaminated by death, is he? <clears throat> On the contrary, Jesus has a divine authority to keep death in its place. A dramatic confrontation is taking place right at the very front of this funeral. A collision. Think about it. It's literally a collision between life and death, isn't it? Right in front. It, you could say it another way. An unstoppable force was meeting a seemingly immovable object. Right? The grieving had come out to bury their dead, but when the funeral met Jesus, death stopped in its tracks. Everyone else had to follow the procession, but Jesus had the authority to bring it to a halt. Now, isn't that cool? Is that, is that okay for me to say cool in the sermon? <laughs> it's just, just astounding as we think about that. As the crowd watched and the pallbearers waited, Jesus spoke to the body that lay shrouded in, in death. Verse number 14 and 15, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus I love these words. Jesus <laughs> gave him to his mother. How absurd it must have seemed when Jesus addressed the corpse with these words. But he made good on his audacious command, didn't he? The healing of the widow's son was a mighty demonstration of the divine power of Jesus Christ. He didn't raise the dead by prayer, as Elijah did, but simply by the power of his own command. When Jesus spoke, the dead obeyed. When Jesus speaks, things happen. To perform this miracle, Jesus had to summon the young man's soul from the place of the dead. Think about the steps. Summon the dead man's soul from the place of death, right? He had to reunite his body and soul together. He had to reintegrate, reconstitute that person so that he could get up and speak. And all of this required supernatural power. And he did it just like that. The raising of the widow's son does point us to also, and I love this, the death of death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection was a death of death. It, it was one of the first hints in the gospel that Jesus would rise from the dead. In compassion for our dead and dying race, Jesus had come to die for our sins, and after he died, he rose again. And the miracle shows that Jesus has the power to bring us back to life. 
he can do something more than just show us sympathy. He can do something more than be empathetic. He can give us spiritual life. He gives spiritual life to our dead souls. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 2 says? You were dead in trespasses of sin. You were dead. Do you believe the Bible said when it says you were dead? Dead people don't respond in trespasses of sin. And now he himself has indeed risen from the dead, and Jesus has the power to grant us eternal life, and his resurrection is a promise and the proof of our own resurrection. And so in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the hope of eternal life. We know for sure that when we die, God will receive our souls unto himself, and on the last day, he will raise our bodies in glory. Wonderful, wonderful truth, isn't it? On that great day, we will also be reunited with the people that we love in Christ. My father's up there. Your father's up there. Some of you probably have children up there. I don't know. You'll be reunited. <clears throat> the word gave, when he said he gave him to his mother, is a reminder that life after death is a free gift of God's grace. We don't earn it. We don't make our own life. Furthermore, without this story... Um, without this detail, the story would be incomplete. Remember, it's because of his compassion for the mother that Jesus got involved in this situation in the first place. He was sensitive to her suffering. And so when Jesus brought this young man back to life, he restored him to his mother's arms. And this gives us a picture of the happy reunion that we will have in heaven, the reunion of every believer in Christ who has prom Jesus has promised us that an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. <laughs> That'll be a sight, won't it? And if you're saved, you're going to see it. He has promised that at the final resurrection, every child of God will be raised to everlasting glory. He has promised that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Now, I want to close with a question. That is this, how do we respond? How should we respond to the hope of this resurrection? Well, Luke tells us something. Look at the next verses, verse 16 and 17. Luke tells us that fear sees them all, and they glorify God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea, in the surrounding country. In keeping with this example, we are called to respond to the resurrection by worshiping God and witnessing about it. That's what Mike was talking about today, wasn't it? So that everyone may know Jesus in a saving power. They recognized that the dead could be raised only by the power of God, and so they returned the praise back to God, glorifying him, as the Lord and giver of life after death. And the people also began to praise God. They, they did not know yet that he was 
God the Son, but they could not deny his power, could they? they? They didn't know that he was the Son. They called him a prophet, but they could see the power with which he did things, and they couldn't deny that power, and so they called him a great prophet. Thus, they testified that in Christ, God has visited his people. Very interesting. You, do you remember that that's been used before? In the infancy narratives of Luke chapter number 1, God visits his people twice in, in Luke chapter 1, it says. It, we also find it harkens back to the time of Elisha, who was the last prophet to raise someone from the dead. In 2 Kings 4, and, and the story that begins in verse number 18, it says God visited his people. It had, to been, it, it had been almost 1,000 years since somebody raised another person from the dead. But now God had visited his people again, and they're full of praise. And you know what? We too should be full of praise, shouldn't we? God visited us in the person of a son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead to give us hope in the resurrection. And now every week, we gather in worship on Sunday. The very Sunday that Jesus was raised from the dead, we come before God in reverence and awe. We worship his person of his son, glorifying him for the gift of the resurrection. Why? Why? Jesus has won the victory over death. Praise the Lord. And this is good news for people who are spiritually dead because it means that Jesus can give us new life. And for many here, he has given new life, hasn't he? He, he calls us into his word. And when we hear his voice, we come alive spiritually. And it, it's good news for people who are afraid to die because it gives them hope of life after death. <coughs> death is not the end for those who have faith in Christ. We can receive the free gift of eternal life. And the resurrection is also good news for people who are grieving because it means that we will see our loved ones again. I want to end with this, these verses. The Bible promises that Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will, how much? Always be with the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement of this little story. You do have compassion on those who are suffering. You do have the power to conquer death. You have conquered death many times, and you're going to keep doing it again and again as people get saved. And one day we're going to have resurrection life. Lord, I know there are people right now who are struggling with circumstances. They're questioning everything. I pray that you will help them to turn from feelings into what they know to be absolutely true that you are the God who has steadfast love, chesed. It will never end. 
You are the God who has compassion, and you are the merciful God. In these things, we can trust, and these things become our rock to steady us during difficult times. Lord, by your great power, by the working of the Holy Spirit, will you please encourage those today who are struggling in these ways. In Christ's name, amen.